So usually it, you have John or I sprinting back and forth across this stage <laughs> talking to you live. Um, but in case you didn't know, we are actually one church in multiple locations. Uh, there are We are Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines. There's also uh, campuses in West Des Moines and Grimes and a bunch of other places as well. I, I don't have to go through all of them. But um, sometimes it's good to hear from our pastor, our senior pastor, Mike Householder, out from West Des Moines. And uh, in case you weren't paying attention to the scripture reading, it's a little intense. You might have thought to yourself, wow, that is a scripture reading. Last night at the 5 p.m. service, uh, it was somebody read it and there was just silent afterwards. And somebody from the back goes, oh, dang. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, Mike and his wife, Sally, are preaching this weekend. And we definitely, as all one church, uh, are excited to hear what they have to say for all of us. And uh, so Mike knows he's preaching to you. Uh, He's been praying for you this week. And uh, so if he asks you to participate, feel free to participate, laugh at his jokes, even if you think that they're not funny, that same grace that you extend to John and I all the time. So uh, before we start, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our church that is in multiple locations. God, we thank you for the so many community members that we have that bring their gifts and their talents and their blessings and use those to bless other people. Jesus, we're just so grateful that you use us to love other people. So God, in a challenging teaching, um, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to lean into the tension and so that we might see ourselves clearer, so that we might be led out of our brokenness, God, by you, and that we might allow you into all aspects of our life, Jesus. We thank you for loving us and for choosing us again and again. Be with Pastor Mike uh, and be with us in spirit. Do what only you can do. It's in your good name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Good morning, Hope. How are you? Welcome uh, to our services today. I want to, in case you are new to Hope or you've never met her, this is my wonderful and wise wife, Sally. Everyone say hello, Sally. (laughs) Yeah, I'll clap too. Yay. Uh, She is preaching along with me today. We are going to preach about what the Bible says about marriage and how to take marriage to the next level and the things that God has taught us uh, in 30 two years of marriage, uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of teaching. Marriage is hard work, isn't it, Sally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun. It, it is fun. Thank you. <laughs> I, that's good. But, but you have a statistic that you found, right, uh, about the difference it makes when you work hard in a marriage. Right. Um, it said that uh, when two people, two spouses both work on your marriage, there's 95% of your problems, no matter how big they are, can be solved. If only one of you works on on the marriage, then the percentages are less than half, and that includes the small problems. So if no one works on the marriage, then it's not so Zero percent chance it's going to get better. If if only one person's working on it, less than half. Mm -hmm. And if you're both working on it, it goes way up, 95%. So we want to encourage you to work on it. How many of you, let's see what we've got here today. Those of you who are watching in Ankeny or Des Moines or Ames or Waukee or Grimes, Raise your hands there, too, and, and here in West Des Moines, um, where we have back in the overflow there, you two. It's amazing. We have five wide-open seats in the front row and <laughs> right huge overflow crowd over there. I'm just letting you know there's almost always room in the front. Uh, but raise your hand if you're married. Just so I want to know what we're dealing with here. <laughs> if you don't know, that would be bad, right? Uh, raise your hand. If, you might say, oh, great. This is a sermon for married people and And a good uh, half, almost half of this church isn't married. So raise your hand if you know someone who's married. Go ahead and just raise your hand. Put put that up there. 
Okay, if you raised your hand in either of the last two questions, this sermon is for you. Whether you're married or you know someone who is, whether you will be married, you were married, uh, and aren't married anymore, this sermon is for you because marriage affects us all. We want to we dive in right away to what God's Word says about this. God is the inventor of marriage. God's the one who gives us this gift, and it, it can be a burden, but it's a gift. It's intended to be a gift. And the way God intended marriage to be is this. It's, it's up on the screens. If you can see a screen and you can see the words there, let's read it together. This is God's intent for marriage from the very beginning of creation. Jesus said these words in Matthew 19, but he's really just taking them from Genesis 1. He's saying, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know what God did from the very beginning of creation? Don't you know what marriage is? According to the one who invented it, it's this. Let's read it together. God God made them them male male and female. female. This This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. That there would be two people who become one. That's the idea of marriage, that the two would become one. And that's really an amazing thing. I think that's part of why maybe as old married couples, uh, the longer they're married, the more they start to look like each other, which has been really good for me. Uh, over the years, I, I just start blending in, you know, to the, to, the, to the beauty next to me. But there is a wrong way to do this, and there's definitely God's way to do this. It just makes logical sense that if we want to get really serious about what marriage is, we can turn to the culture or we can turn to God. But we mess it up. And you saw in that clip, that opening clip from the movie Crazy Stupid Love, which came out about a decade ago, Steve Carell's character, Cal, and and his wife, I think it's Emily, uh, they are married, but they're getting divorced. She wants a divorce. He wants creme brulee. That was pretty funny. Uh, In the restaurant, they said, let's just say what we're thinking, what we want right now. She wants the divorce. He wants dessert. And and they, he just goes, he just goes completely silent. He's so shocked. He's so stunned by this announcement. And sometimes that's the way it goes that he can't even be in the car anymore, and he bails on the car, and then comes home and tells the babysitter and their son that, you know, it, it, you know it, this is, what did you do? Well, we're getting divorced. That's what we did. We live in a culture where divorce rates are 40 to 50 percent, depending on the statistics that you want to dive into, and a lot of you, and I know, it's a sensitive topic. A lot of you have been through divorce. Uh, a lot of, some of you are going through it right now, All of us know people close to us who've been through divorce. It affects us all. And so we can do one of two things. Same thing I said two weeks ago when we preached on depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. As a church, we can sweep this stuff under the rug, just preach shallow, superficial messages. But if it's going to be an all-eyes-on-Jesus kind of thing, and that's what this church always has been, and specifically that is our theme this year, then we're going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And even when the Bible readings make us flinch a little bit, and if you were listening to the Bible reading and you didn't flinch, wow, (laughs) that was a rough reading. I mean, that was very difficult. We had an eighth grader assigned to read it, and we switched that out. Uh, and, And we got the former speech teacher at Valley High School to read it. We thought that was a smart thing to do. So here we are with this, with this, uh, challenge, this gift of marriage, but also the burden that marriage can become in this fallen, messed up world. So this is God's intent for what marriage would be, that two would be united as one, and they'd live happily ever after, and their love would grow, but that's not always the case. And in the case of the movie clip you saw, it's because of uh, adultery, or maybe the fact that their marriage is falling apart led to the adultery. Sometimes the adultery leads to the divorce, sometimes the chaos in the marriage leads to the adultery, which leads to the divorce. 
There are other reasons that people get divorced, but in this case, it was adultery. There is a minority, but a loud segment of our culture that suggests that affairs are really, you know, exciting and adventurous and wonderful and something that you ought to try and something you should engage in. And, and, it, and then they even throw in that it could help a marriage. It, it, it could really increase it. it. In 28 years of ministry, I've never met anybody who had an affair who came to me and said, that was a brilliant idea. I'm just so glad we did that. It was so good for our marriage. So good for our kids loved it. Our kids just loved that we, that we stepped outside of the marriage. Our, our, our in-laws, our families, our relatives, our grandparents, they loved that we did that. It was our neighborhood, our community, our, our, our small group, the people around us. That was a great idea. It was so good for us. Here's the reality. And what, what's fascinating to me is that this is, this is not, I, I did a lot of research on this. And so this is a compilation of all the different studies and research that I saw out there. This is not just like Pastor Mike's opinion or my subjective view on, on hearing counseling for, for almost three decades of, uh, of marriages that are falling apart. Although that does certainly uh, affect my view. But adultery destroys marriages, or it can. It is selfish. There's just no way around the fact that adultery is always selfish. It's always about you. It's always about what you want and, and your pleasure and, and your satisfaction. And it really doesn't take into consideration at all the people who are going to get hurt around you. And there's going to be a long line. Adultery is stressful. I mean, it's hard to hide like that. It, it raises stress levels and anxiety levels. It's expensive. Now you not only have to, to be paying for things for one spouse, but probably a spouse and a lover and somebody you're having an affair with. And if they have kids, it just multiplies. It's just horrible for the budget. <laughs> it produces anxiety. <laughs> Adultery damages trust, obviously. And it usually leads to more lies. Lies beget lies. Adultery uh, hurts our most vital relationships with our spouse and our God but also kids and relatives and community, as I said before. And this is the one, the data's in. This is not like a debatable point. Adultery is in a highly ineffective way to find happiness and love, which is the reason we, we, we are tempted or we think that we should do it or give in to it is we're looking for love. We're looking for happiness. We're not happy in our marriage, so we're going to step out and try to find it somewhere else. Highly ineffective strategy. It, Marriages that start with an affair have an over 90% rate of divorce because they don't have a foundation. They started as a fantasy. They, they started as nobody. When you're in an affair with somebody, you probably aren't having to do day-to-day -day stressful, ordinary, mundane things like who's going to take the garbage out, who's going to pick up the kids, who's going to do the dishes. It, it's fantasy land. It isn't real. When the fantasy becomes a reality, you're like, well, what, what's this? And that's why the relationship crumbles. And it's not just men, traditionally, that, or, or stereotypically, that's the view that it's just men who are stepping out in marriages, but... Yeah, statistically, when you look at it, most of the time men are the ones who are um, doing the, the extramarital affairs. But um, unfortunately, what, you're, what we're starting to see is that infidelity gap is starting to close and more women are starting to cheat. Um, and what does that mean, cheat? So you have to look at it that way and think, okay, most of the time when you think that someone's cheating on their spouse, that means that there's some sort of physical infidelity going on. But it also could be emotional. 
And when you, um, and women are a little bit more emotional than men, and so that's, this is why this is on the rise. And so when you um, share your deepest thoughts, your deepest feelings with someone besides your spouse, that is really disrupting the fundamental bond that you and your husband or spouse have. Yeah, it, it can definitely be just as damaging. And this is, this is what the scriptures say uh, about this. Jesus has um, this pattern of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to be diving into starting this weekend, starting today. The Bible reading you heard today is from his Sermon on the Mount. He starts on Ash Wednesday, we preached on this, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the Beatitudes. Now we turn the page to just a few verses later and Jesus talks about marriage because it's important. It's important to God. It's the most important human relationship that those who are married could possibly have. Jesus has this pattern of teaching. He says, you have heard what the world says about this. You have heard what culture says. You've heard society's views on marriage. You have heard society's views on all these different subjects that he's going to cover. This is a pattern of communication that Jesus uses throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard not only what the world says about marriage, you've heard what religious people say about the law of God when it comes to marriage or adultery. And so he says to those who are feeling like the Pharisees, uh, a little bit religiously smug and self-righteous, and that's the way you can hear the beginning of this sermon too. Well, I'm, I'm not committing adultery. So I'm good. But yeah, you go, Sally and Mike. You lean into it and make sure those people who are committing adultery know how wrong it is. If that's ever your heart when you're hearing a sermon, you should check your heart. <laughs> because it's always for all of us. And Jesus, instead of lowering the bar, raises the bar. A lot of people wrongly think Jesus showed up and he took all the Old Testament laws and he just dropped the bar so now it's easy for all of us just to do whatever we want. And the law is dismissed. But he says the opposite of that. Rather than lowering the bar, he says, you have heard it said, the Old Testament law, Old Testament for us, scriptures for Jesus, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. So the self-righteous religious people are like, well, as long as I'm not having a physical affair outside of my marriage, I'm okay. But as Sally said, emotional affairs can be just as damaging. It's just a statistical fact. It can be just as damaging to a marriage and a relationship and to a family and to a home and to a community as a physical affair. And so Jesus hits that. He says, you heard it said committing adultery is a sin. I agree. But then Jesus, instead of lowering the bar, raises the bar. He says, but I say to you, you must not even look at another person with lust in your eye. Your heart can be corrupted, Jesus says, by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. They corrupt us, the, the, the ones who leer, the ones who look. And so then he says, he uses hyperbole. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, gouge it out. If your arm causes you to sin in this way, cut it off. This, by the way, is the point at which I say, it's clear that nobody in this church takes the Bible literally. <laughs> you say you do, but you don't. Right? Or we'd all be eyeless today. We, we, we'd be armless and eyeless, and we wouldn't be here. Because this is kind of an all-encompassing inclusion kind of point that Jesus is making. If you ever cross this line, and almost everybody has, if you ever cross this line of lust, which crowds out love, that's why it's a dangerous thing, then Jesus uses the hyper... Look, when I say we don't take the Bible literally... Do not misunderstand. We take the Bible seriously. To take it literally is to not take it seriously. 
If you take the Bible literally, you're ignoring a genre of literature, you're ignoring context, you're ignoring purpose, you're ignoring the intent of the authors as they're writing it. That's not taking it seriously. That's proof texting to go and slap it on to your own application that you want to use it as some sort of sledgehammer to beat people down in a self-righteous, pharisaical way. To take the Bible seriously means to say, oh, Jesus is using hyperbole here, which he did. And he's making a very important point. Lust can corrupt your soul. Lust can mess with you. It changes the way you see things. Which, if you think adultery was uncomfortable, now I'm going to talk about pornography. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you, whatever campus you're at, and say, this should be fun. Uh, just, Just go ahead and hunker down a little bit. It'll be great. Because, again, we can pretend, oh, that's them. That's their issue. That's somebody else. It doesn't affect me or anybody I know. Oh, it most certainly does affect somebody you know at a minimum. The reality is, let's bring these things to the light so that we can find healing and new life and freedom. But if we don't have the courage to do that, if we just slide it and sweep it under the rug, then we're never going to find the full and abundant life that God wants us to have. So... Let's dive in. The problem with pornography, because this one is even more tempting uh, than adultery these days. It's just a click away. And everybody knows that. It's just a click away. You can, you can, you, access to pornography is at unbelievable, uh, unbelievable points. I'm convinced, and I, I don't know if this is me or a word from the Lord, but I'm convinced that a generation from now, our culture will look at pornography like we look at cigarette smoking today. A generation or two ago, people were like, oh, well, yeah, it's probably not great, but, you know, it's cool, and, and, and it's kind of fun, and, and everybody's doing it, and so I guess it's okay. But then study after study after study shows the damage, the physical damage that cigarette smoking causes, and so the result is our culture says enough. Enough with tobacco companies selling candy cigarettes and enough with getting away with these things and enough with playing these games. I believe pornography is going to be the same thing a generation from now because we're going to look back on the damage it did, on the massive damage it did to a whole young generation of people growing up who thought it was cool. And they, were, they weren't really, oh, well, you know, it's, it's kind of a harmless kind of pleasure. And it's just, it's just what you do. And it's just natural. I mean, you know, it's inside. It, it's an inclination you have. So you have to act on that. Oh, my gosh. If you have an inclination to go steal something at the mall this afternoon, does that mean you have to act on it? If you have an inclination to murder somebody tomorrow, does that mean you have to act on it? Of course, it's absurd. We say, no, you got to exhibit some self-control. You can't cross that line. But pornography, oh, well, you know, if you feel it, if you have an urge, if you have an urge, you have to act. It's just natural. It's just, it's it's good. It's all good. It's not hurting anybody. It's killing you. It's actually taking life away from you. And this is not, oh, some moralistic preacher sitting up here with his wife saying, oh, you shouldn't do this. This is bad because it's just immoral. It is. But the reason God gives us his laws is to bless us. He wants us to have a full and abundant life. And pornography steals that. Here's what's fascinating. I went to Christian websites to do this research. I went to psychology websites, psychiatry websites. I went to feminist websites. And they all agree. It's fascinating. They all agree on the damage that pornography is doing to us as a culture and to individuals within it. 
Pornography exploits women and men. It's not just women. Mostly women, but men too, as objects. Pornography is an addictive visual drug that rewires a brain. It's just a fact. Changes the way you see other human beings. And can lead to extreme and violent behavior when it gets acted out upon. Pornography number three use leads to higher levels of depression, anxiety, loneliness, infidelity, divorce. Oh, sign me up. Gee, that sounds like a great thing, like a harmless sort of thing that we do. Statistically, it's absolutely harmful. It's full of harm. Pornography actually delays real intimacy for young adults and teens. It keeps them from pouring into the potential relationship they could have with an actual human being and developing into love and commitment and marriage. But, well, if I've got pornography, why would I need to do that? Four, pornography's a lie. They're acting, okay? It's fake. It's not real. But it's hard to discern that sometimes. And so in our brains, we, we don't have good boundaries. And, then, and, and so then you have a spouse, and there's no way a spouse can compete with that. And so you get stuck. And distance grows in a marriage. And here's the one that's the real stinger, and the dad is in. There's no, there, there's no real debate on this. It's just a truth. As pornography use increases, all the studies show sexual satisfaction actually decreases. You're hurting your sex life. You're absolutely hurting your sex life the more you engage in pornography. If you want to have the richest, fullest sex life, this isn't the way. And it hurts people, doesn't it, Sally? Yeah, I had a friend um, years ago whose husband struggled with pornography, and to watch her heart feel like it was just stepped on was really hard. She felt she wasn't good enough for her husband. She felt everybody else was better. She was afraid to talk to him about it. He was embarrassed because he knew she knew a little bit about it. And you could just feel the division in their marriage because of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's very hurtful. Yeah, I, it's not easy. I'm not throwing this out there like, oh, well, this will be easy to take care of. But I will challenge you on this one. Lent would be a good time to give up pornography. This would be a good season for you to give it a, give it a rest, to, to push it aside and say, I'm, I'm going to try God's way. I, I'm, I'm going to try to go a different way and see what that doesn't do for you. See, see if it doesn't clean some things out that are getting dark and getting darker all the time. If that's the goal, I mean, just to get as dark as you possibly can, then pornography is a good way to go there. It's also a corrupt business. A multi-billion dollar business that often includes all sorts of underworld kinds of things. It's just, it's just, there's just no light here at all, folks. It's a major issue. And out of love for you, I'm going, I'm going big on this one today. I, I want to encourage you, as difficult as it is, I want to encourage you to trust God enough to surrender everything about yourself to him and follow his way. Here's the problem. In this movie, Crazy Stupid Love, and I know the word stupid isn't the greatest word to use, but it's in the title, so I'm going to go with it for just a moment. When we follow the world's way, and where it says, oh, pornography is kind of fun, and it's cool, and, and comedians brag about it, and talk about how, 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 how funny it is, and, and how hilarious it is, and how harmless it is. There's another study that came out recently that reported marital happiness over time. So the longer you're married, the more your marital happiness goes down. Do not say amen uh, to that one, right? The longer you're more married. So, so like the pinnacle of love, the closest you'll ever feel to your spouse is the day you get married. So here's this uh, picture. Oops, there it is. 
back one. Here's this picture of Sally and I the day we walked down the aisle 32 plus years ago. And then there's a picture just recently uh, at one of our sons, at our son's wedding uh, when we're walking down the aisle. Was it our daughter's? Which that one? was John. That was and our was, son's. Yeah. Okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I remember it well. Yeah, the, the details. You were wearing blue that day, and I'll never forget that. You're gorgeous, baby. But, but the, the point is, is if we go the world's way, we're going to end up losing our joy and our happiness. More often than not, there's exceptions to every rule and every study. But if we do that, we're following the crowd. This month, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus saying, you've heard it said this, but I say that. You've heard the upside down world say this, but I'm turning it right side up. Let me tell you how God created you to be. Let me tell you why he invented love and marriage. Let me tell you what it's all about. Instead of following the crowd, let me turn that upside down for you. So that I can tell you sitting here that even though marriage is, is uh, it's hard, right? Sometimes we, we, we get, we hit, we're human, we hit bumps too along the way. And there are challenges and you got to work through those and talk those out. But without a shadow of a doubt, I can sit here and say from the, the, the depths of my heart, I am more in love with this woman 32 years later than I was the day we got married. And I hope she can say the I same. I can say right? the same. Yeah, that, yes, that's a good for thing. Sure. And that's for our sure. hope for you. you say, oh, well, that's not my story. Turn the chart upside down, right side up. How do you do that? Well, it starts by following the biblical definition of love. It's patient. That's just a, you could just do the whole sermon on patience. Patience in your marriage. Patience with the fact that you haven't perfected your spouse yet. <laughs> and you never will. Pa pa patience with their, um, their annoying habits. Patience with the times they disappoint you. Patience with the times that they, they mess up and trip up. Patience. Love is patient and kind. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures forever. That's what God gave us. That's the gift. And I'm, I'm telling you, if... If you can grab onto that gift and, it, and it's there for you, say, oh no, our marriage is long gone. We have drifted apart. We've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. We lost that love and feeling. Oh, it's gone, 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 gone. <laughs> you can get it back. It's gonna take some work. It's not gonna come back just because you passively sit back and say, oh, well, if it comes back, then I guess that'll be great. And if it doesn't come back, then that'll be a bummer. No. Pour into it. So we want to spend the rest of this sermon talking to you about what the Bible says that, that we can do to uh, take marriage to the next level, to turn it right side up. Number one, leave home, right? Sally uh, is from Chicago. Her family and her cousins and her grandparents all lived in the same neighborhood. Um, and they didn't just live in the same neighborhood accidentally. And great-grandparents. And great-grandparents and probably the ones before that. Uh, all lived in the same neighborhood, and that was a generational thing. I come along and marry this woman, and we moved to Minnesota, and then Iowa. It's Minnesota for seminary, and Iowa. And they're kind of looking at me like, what are you doing taking our daughter away from her home? The Bible says that when you get married, you leave your father and mother. Genesis 2.24. You leave your father and mother, and now you have a new home. 
And that new home comes before your old home. As important as that old home is, as important and as connected and as bonded to that old home, that once upon a time home, that childhood home is, as nostalgic as that home is, the home you have with your spouse, that's it. That place you live, those of you who are married right now, whatever campus you're at, the, the local sites, Kansas City, we were with them last week. We love you guys. Wherever you are, if you're married and you're sitting with those folks, who you're with, who you're married to, who you're bonded to, the people you know who are married, that's home for them. That's your first family now. That comes first. And God intended, he created it this way. He says, you have to leave your father and mother. You don't get married and say, yeah, but my heart's with mommy and daddy. My heart's back home. And so that's where I really pledge my allegiance. No, when you get married, your first allegiance now is to your spouse, for better or worse. It is to your spouse. This comes first, right? Right. And right? Of, yeah, absolutely, right. absolutely. And um, don't misunderstand that you have to like not talk to your family anymore and not love them as much as you always will. Right. Always did, always will. Um, but it just means that you guys come first. I'm learning a little bit about this um, now that our children are getting married. Um, two of the three are married, one's on the way. Um, and we, we have learned that you have to give them space. It is their life now. They have found their, their spouse that they're going to spend the rest of their life with. They have committed to each other. And you need to give them space to grow and learn about each other because marriage is an adventure, and we don't want them to miss out on that. We're still a part of their lives, and they, all, they love us just the same. Pretty much. Yeah, for the most part. Actually, I think, I think it's, it's kind of fun. Our relationship's different a little bit, but it's awesome. And so um, you're not disconnecting. You're not like literally saying, oh, no more. We can't talk to you anymore. It's just that you all have your own homes. If you have adult married children and you want them to have a full life, let them go. Mm -hmm. Release them. Point them to their spouse. Say, that's your first family. That's the one you focus on first. If you're married and you have parents who are giving you this pressure, have a very gentle but honest talk with them and say, my first allegiance now is to my spouse. It isn't to you. This is our family. And it'll actually, it's not going to hurt your relationship. You might think it will, but actually it's the healthy thing to do. This is what God creates and intends. So leave home. Secondly, this is a big one. Meet each other's emotional needs. It is my job in this marriage to know Sally's emotional needs. I can't emphasize that one enough. Not to try to meet her emotional needs based on what I have as emotional needs, right? So if I want to go to a race, I think, well, the way Sally's going to know I love her is I'm going to take her to a NASCAR race. It's going to be awesome. She's going to love it. She's going to know she's my girl because I'm taking her to a race, right? I need to know that what she needs, well, she loves to go out. She's very extroverted. She loves to be at parties, socially with people, friends, strangers. That's about 107th on my list. I'm actually an introvert. I know that might surprise some of you, but those of you who know me best, you know that's true. I would rather have quiet if I have free time, and I'd rather be at home. Right. Yeah, Mike's, uh, he works hard all week long and um, doesn't have much time for a break. And um, when I'm at home alone, I, I love to just blare the music. I like noise. It's a party. It's, yeah, I love to have It's just noisy is good for me. But um, for Mike, it's not that way. And so especially um, throughout other times of the week, if there's a chance, but especially on Sunday afternoons, we get home from church. He, and I know he needs to take a breath. So 
I don't play my music. I just try to make it real quiet, and so he can just watch his sports. I love you. Um, <laughs> just just and, thinking about that in a few hours. Yeah, and I, you know what? It's really funny. He really appreciates that. That I, that I actually am just like, you know what? It's okay. I understand you need this, and the fact that. Um, I do that. He, he's always very thankful for that. And on the flip side, last weekend, um, I wasn't preaching. We had a, a weekend off. And I knew that what Sally would want to do is go take a getaway trip. And so I didn't. <laughs> but I married up. And so one of the ways I can meet her emotional needs is to say, uh, let's go. So we drove down to Kansas City. We hung out with our local site down there. That was awesome. Uh, saw some old friends. Uh, we went shopping. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Um, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, 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 what's that called? The Country, Country Plaza? Club Plaza? Country Club Plaza in Kansas City. We saw a lot of you. Yeah. A lot of old people hang out That's down there, apparently. Uh, and uh, there's this store. H&M. H&M. Uh, I love that store. Sally loves. And so we went down there to buy me some shirts. And we came home with seven bags for her and none for me. And so <laughs> it was just as awesome. She wins, I win, right? <laughs> I, I found a bookstore. I got to hang out there. I, I did some reading. I gave her as much time as she possibly could have, any human could have ever wanted in one store. And she was happy, and I was happy, and that's knowing each other's needs. You're not the same. Men and women aren't the same. When women fall ill, 100% of the time they say, it's okay, I'm just a little tired. When men fall ill, about 8% of the time, that's what they say, and 92% of the time, they say, listen to me carefully, woman, these are my last words. <laughs> it's funny, because it's true, right? Yeah. That's certainly true in our house. It is. Mike always tells me, well, it's worse for me, because I'm so much bigger than you. It's logical. <laughs> yeah. I've got more throat to get sore, so it's going to hurt more. You know, so if we got the same cold, it's going to be harder for me. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> So level one marriage on emotional needs says, I, I'm here to meet, I, I, she's here to meet my needs. And I will check in, Are, is she meeting my needs? That's a conversation we should have, but take it to a higher level. Take your marriage to the next level, and level two would be, am I meeting your needs? In order to do that, I need to know what they are. This would be another good topic for conversation today, those of you who are married, and those of you who will be married someday. Again, maybe, or for the first time. Ask, what is it that I can do for you that you truly, really love? What is it that makes your day that I do for you? What is it that makes your, do you know? Are you 100% sure you know what your spouse's top emotional needs are? Because once you know that and you can meet those, oh my. Then all of a sudden, you don't even have to keep asking those questions because you just know. And you check in once in a while to make sure that nothing's changed. But level three marriage is we are meeting each other's needs. And now the two can become one. We can go God's way on this and it turns right side up or we can go our own way and it all starts to fall apart like in the movie Crazy Stupid Love where um, Cal and his wife Emily are getting divorced because of adultery in this case. Uh, the babysitter who you saw in the opening scene has a crush on Cal the dad, she's 17, but their son, uh, who's 13, has a crush on the babysitter. Uh, their older daughter starts dating the Ryan Gosling character who teaches Cal, the Steve Carell character, how to be a womanizer in singles bars and do one-night stands. And then this guy, the Ryan Gosling character, starts dating their adult daughter. 
only he doesn't know. And then, just to make matters worse, the guy who's having the affair with Emily, the wife of the Steve Carell character, shows up in the same scene because she forgot her sweater or something like that. He's the guy who was the lead in Footloose, like the (laughs) Iowa National Anthem movie, right? And so he shows up, he's the other man, and everything breaks loose in one of the funniest scenes in any romantic comedy ever. Let me ask you again, you think that affair is a good idea? Take a look. So. Okay, wait, which one of you is Lynn Hagen? I'm just gonna write domestic disturbance all clear. Thank you, officer. There are better ways to get excitement in your life, right? Right, so many times people, uh, married people say, oh, I'm just so bored with marriage. Our, we're just so bored. Okay, look, here's the thing. You're not bored, you're boring. Ooh, my job. Start having some fun. Do things that are fun together as a couple, compromise and get out and start living life together the way you're supposed to, like you did when you were dating. For some reason, we stopped that, but continue to do that. Do those fun things, and you will find that both of you are much more satisfied. Wow, you can preach. That was great. (laughs) For more on this, check out the new Pastor Mike podcast, which debuts tomorrow because one of the first episodes that's uh, being released tomorrow is Sally and I and Emily and Chris Langpaul talking about marriage and more wisdom from Sally. So uh, you can find that wherever you find podcasts, and we just want to get the word and the gospel out. Last point on marriage is uh, to stay or get close to God. If you do, uh, if you worship together, your marriage is going to stay together. Christians have the same divorce rates as the rest of culture if we're inactive in church, but we're just on the membership rolls. But if you make church a priority, if you make God a priority at the center of your life, your success rate in marriage goes over to over 90%. It's a deal maker. It changes everything. So stay or get close to God in the same way they do on The Bachelor. (laughs) Sally came, uh, and we'll close with this. Sally ran into the room where I was reading the other night after watching The Bachelor and said, this is the best episode of The Bachelor that I've ever seen because... Well, I just have to ask, how many of you saw The Bachelor on Monday night? Did anybody have a chance? Not me. Okay, it was the best Bachelor episode I've ever seen. And the reason is because that's Peter up there. um, Peter, and then that's Madison. Peter is a Delta pilot. That's too bad, unfortunately, works for that other airline. No, it's a good airline. Um, And then Madison, um, she is just an unbelievable girl. She has her morals. She's saving herself um, for marriage. And she has made that very known um, to the other girls and to um, Peter. And so before the week of the fantasy suite, she went in and talked to him and said, okay, I really have something that you need to know. I've really stretched my boundaries a little bit by letting you kiss other girls while I see that, and that's really been hard for me, but I've got something to tell you, that if you go into these fantasy suites with these other girls and you become intimate with them, I'm not sure I can handle that, and that's something you're just gonna have to know. And so they had their, their special date, which usually ends with a fantasy suite night, and she was the third one, so she asked them, I, I have to know this. Well, he, he was very, uh, he was squirming, and I loved it. He was totally squirming in his seats, and he came clean and said, yeah, well, I was intimate with the other girls. And at that moment, the thing I loved about Madison so much 
is you could just see her eyes. It was like she was just focused and looking internally at who God made her to be to say, that's not okay. And I've got these morals that, I've, that I know God made me for. And the world wants me to tell Peter it's okay, but I can't do that. And I can't tell you that I'm gonna do that with you. So she said, you know what, I need to get up. I need, some, I need some time. So she got up and she actually walked away. Now that was that episode. I don't know what's gonna happen the next day or tomorrow night it's or the TV. next one. Right, right. Yeah. But, but the morals that she had um, and how important that was and how strong her faith is, she does have a strong faith, um, was just so impressive and so refreshing to see on reality TV. It will bless her in the long run. It will. Jesus says this in the same Sermon on the Mount at the beginning in the Beatitudes. He says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. He does this, he says this, he puts these boundaries around us, not because he's trying to keep us from life and joy and pleasure, but because he wants that, us to have it to the full, at the fullest levels, at the fullest amounts. He wants us to have an abundant life. So let me turn your world right side up, Jesus says. Let me, let me show you a better way. Choose love. Some of you could hear this and say, okay, well now I'm shamed and I feel guilty and I'm ruined. That's not the point at all. We have communion at the end of the service and it's not just for you, it's for all of us. Look to the cross, because there on the cross you'll meet a God who proves his love for you. You'll meet a Jesus who shows up and says, I choose love for you even though you haven't earned it and you don't deserve it. And that's not just people in this church who've committed adultery or have had affairs, who've, who, who engage and struggle with pornography, who are uh, involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage of any kind. It's for all of us. Maybe sexual sin isn't your issue. Maybe lust isn't your issue. You got issues. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got issues too, baby. Yeah, I mean, you got, you got them as well. So we all get in line. We all get in line today because we need it, not because we've earned it or deserve it. Because love is a choice. I know, I know, I'm, I've learned. It took me like 32 years to figure this out. But um, for the longest time, I'd ask Sally, I said, do you want me to get you flowers for your birthday, for Valentine's, for anniversary? She's like, no, it's all right. I'm like, I scored the greatest wife ever. She, she's Sally. She's all joy and fun and beauty. And not only that, she doesn't need me to get her flowers. Somewhere in the last few months, I had a um, revelation. She doesn't want me to ask if she wants flowers. <laughs> and all the, yeah, right? Right? Because if I say, do you want me to get them and I get them, there's no surprise, right? right. There's a, so yesterday I ran out to Costco. <laughs> where I also buy her huge, huge stacks of toilet paper and she loves that. <laughs> And I always like to put them on top of the cart because she loves that too as we walk around and walk funny because I say, oh, we got the sandpaper kind. Oh. <laughs> and I put it right next to the underwear right on top. So then when all of you see us at Costco, you do the look at the cart thing. Okay. <laughs> but I also got her some flowers this time because love is a choice that leads to a feeling, you guys. It's not a feeling that leads to a choice. That's the world's upside down thinking. When Jesus turns that right side up, you choose love and then the feelings follow. So Sally, 
Will you, will you, it feels weird in front of all of you. It really does. <laughs> and it's not like she didn't know. This is our third service. But, <laughs> I feel but, like but yesterday it was a surprise the first time. Sally, will you accept this for us? I would love to. Yes. <laughs> Woo! Um, amen. Right. No. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> not every sermon ends with a kiss. But maybe it should. Just plan on that at the end of every sermon from now on. Let's go on. Turn it over to the campus pastors uh, and local sites in West Des Moines. Stick with me. I can't follow that. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> but wherever you find yourself uh, in, in anything that we talked about today, we all are indeed broken people. We all have experienced brokenness in relationships in some way, shape, or form. And we all can be led out of whatever hurt, habit, or hang-up we have by the one Jesus, the one God that can see through our walls, see through the filters we put on things, and lead us into a better day. So one of the ways that we do that is keep our eyes on Jesus, like our 2020 phrase says. We remember Jesus the way he asked to be remembered. So I invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts for communion. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with all of his friends. He took the bread before dinner and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this wine is the blood of my covenant, the promise that I have for you. It's shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins, for you and for everybody. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And so they also prayed a prayer that Jesus taught them to pray, and we still pray that here as a part of our faith today. It'll be on the screen, and we'll pray it together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Before you have a seat, let me give you a couple quick pieces of instruction. I'll invite the communion servers forward. Uh, you'll be dismissed from your rows. Uh, there will be three different communion stations. Uh, Gluten-free options are available to my right, your left. And uh, you'll receive the wafer, and you'll dip it into the uh, grape juice, which is light, or the wine, which is dark. Again, grape juice, light, wine is dark. And this table is for anybody that is looking at any relationship in their life with God, with others, or with themselves, and they're saying, I need a little bit more of what Jesus has for me. This table is open to everyone. So let's come to that table together. <laughs>